Welcome to Pat and Rod Save the World, this being the week ending the 17th of January 2015. I'm uh, your humble host, Pat Brown. <laughs> That's a very dry opening. I'm Roderick Maycomb. How is everyone today? Pretty good, I suspect. Yeah. Um, I would only assume that the listeners to our podcast live happy and fulfilled lives. Or maybe so, not. They're listening to our podcast. That's <laughs> There's a good point there. Um, I won't follow it. <laughs> what are you people? What are you people doing with your lives? Yeah, tell me about it. It's like you're <laughs> occupying your brain space during the precious moments of your existence without discussions. I mean, <laughs> let's not continue to follow that to its inevitable conclusion. Let's not. Let's get onto the podcast. Okay. All right. So, uh, so we've got a couple of things we'll be talking about this week, um, and uh, and to start us off. Um, I just uh, thought we should uh, talk about Nigeria and Boko Haram for a bit. Um, obviously, last week's podcast, we were talking all about um, the, uh, the terrorist uh, events in Paris um, with the Charlie Hebdo cartoons and the shootings there, and I don't think we need to really speak about that uh, to any great length at all. Um, but there was an interesting thing that happened, you know, in the week following that, um, in that um, for... You know, the last couple of years, really, um, there's been this group in northern Nigeria, Boko Haram, um, who uh, have more or less taken over swathes of the country. Um, the Nigerian military are having massive trouble trying to keep them contained. They're a radical uh, Islamist group, um, and uh, and they've done all sorts of things. Like there was the the kidnapping of uh, you know, I think it was a couple of hundred uh, schoolgirls. Um, last year that brought about the bring back our girls hashtag that did fuck all um, and uh, and just in the uh, in the day or two after the um, uh, the Paris shootings uh, there was another Boko Haram atrocity um, which left uh, anywhere up to about a thousand uh, two thousand people slaughtered there have been various reports saying that that number is ridiculously high um, a member of the Nigerian military said it was as low as 150. Uh, I personally think it'd be sort of somewhere in between that. Um, uh, but uh, a strange thing happened um, in that there, there became an outcry that there wasn't enough attention paid um, to what Boko Haram was doing. And it became, uh, it, it almost became a set of stories in itself. It's like, how come we paid so much attention to France as we did to uh, what Boko Haram was doing in um, in Nigeria? Pat, did you have something you wanted to add there? No, I just wanted to know, like, you're more across the facts of the case than I am. Mm. Um, so I'd be interested to know actually what happened. Um, because in line with um, the general sort of Western media audience, I've actually not read much about it. Yeah, so, well, um, it's, uh, yeah, started in the northern... Uh, districts of um, of Nigeria in the Baga district, um, and over the course of um, roughly a week, uh, less than a week, January three to January seven, uh, Boko Haram uh, basically just stormed through a bunch of uh, little villages and towns in the Baga uh, Baga I don't know how to pronounce it Baga Baga um, district, and uh, wiped people out, many women and children. Um, and uh, yeah, no one really knows how many people have died, but it's it's a it's hugely serious and really terrible event. Yeah, and the um, Amnesty International, at least, by way of giving a sense of scale, said that 
satellite photos show more than 3,700 buildings uh, being burned down during that period. Yeah. Um, Human Rights Watch um, are saying that uh, about 16 or 17 villages um, have uh, been, you know, affected. Um, so a lot of them just burnt to the ground. A super nasty event, yeah. and by any scale, incredibly consequential, although you wouldn't know it. Um, I think it's also worthwhile pointing out that um, Boko Haram, the uh, name actually means Western education is forbidden. Yeah. Boko might be um, a, a word that's particular to the dialects of Nigeria. Um, I've never heard of it in Arabic, but haram basically means forbidden. Um, and the other thing to point out, which I had no idea of, for some reason I had it in my head that Nigeria had a population of about 80 million. It does in fact have 173 million people. Yeah, living it's, it's, a really, it's a really significant country. It's, um, yeah, so this is a super significant event yeah. in a very large country. Um, and the coverage of it was, what would you call it? Um, Desultory. Well, I uh, I have my you know opinions on this, and it's something we've spoken about before about um, you know is it the chicken or egg argument of media coverage and uh, and what people actually read, um, and I think that the equivalency people or the false equivalency equivalency people started to draw between um, uh, the Boko Haram attack um, over uh, in early January. Um, in Nigeria compared to the Paris shootings uh, really speaks to that um, in that uh, just about every news site that I looked at because I've been um, I've been thinking about Boko Haram in Nigeria for a while now um, every news site that I looked at um, had the initial reports uh, that this attack was occurring so the news was there if people wanted to look at it, um, but it was only sort of like one report for each site. It wasn't anything like the blanket coverage but that it was, Paris got, but it was there. And if people were clicking on that, I can guarantee that all of those news sites would have run with it more. Um, and it wasn't until people were able to put Paris in a headline with Nigeria, as in why aren't we paying more attention uh, to Nigeria as we did with Paris, that people started clicking on it. And uh, I really thought it was a bit of false outrage um, that sort of came out of it, where people were going, oh, how terrible that we're not paying attention. It's like, well, no, no, how terrible that you yourself didn't pay attention on this. Like I, uh, as much as I am a journalist, and I think our, the people who listen to these podcasts would agree that I'm not someone who gives a free pass to how the media works all that often. But I think in this one, this this uh, really isn't um, the media's fault. The, the stories were there uh, as it was happening, the day after it happened, whatever. And if people had been interested from the get-go, uh, it would have um, it would have gone you know as as big as uh, the parachutings did. If you, if you want to be outraged, be outraged at yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, any kind of outrage at the activities of the media is almost always, in essence, outrage at our collective interests and yeah. tastes in news. Yeah. Um, 
And there's a nice scattering of responsibility there that allows each individual to get on their soapbox. But, I mean, I, for one, did very little reading. I read one article on the day. Um, I probably would have paid more attention to it if it had been more privileged on the websites that I was looking at for my news. Um, at the same time, though, you can hardly blame news outlets for uh, making the right decision about the economies of attention in not privileging something that people are actually not that interested in. And as you said, even at this point, the majority of the discussion, including ours, yeah. <laughs> is focused on the fact that it's ridiculous that it's not getting as much attention as it deserves. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, that's very true. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I lost my chain of thought there. But I'm, I actually know that was what I was going to go on to. I mean, it was a, a similar sort of thing for me with the... Um, uh, you know, what happened with the Ebola coverage from last year um, uh, in that it became a huge global story. I'm oh, sorry, start from the beginning. It was ignored for months and months and months uh, while hundreds of people in Western Africa were dying of it. Um, and then it picked up and became a huge global story as soon as uh, a couple of Westerners started getting it and then fell away entirely um, as soon as Westerners realized, oh, well, as soon as you actually have access to Western medicine, you're probably going to be okay. Um, uh, and it just, I mean, it just goes that, I mean, people click on stories and read stories if they think they have any sort of connection to it, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, basic human instincts, are, um, they hinge on survival. And so you're going to be more interested in something that you consider uh, has a, an impact on your prospects for survival, whether it be terrorism in a Western city, whether it be um, uh, a disease spreading to a Western city. I mean, like, this is not a criticism of you, Rod, but I feel like an idiot even really talking about this because the ultimate conclusion is, oh, human beings are self-involved. <laughs> and that doesn't feel very... Uh, uh, revolutionary as an idea. No, but it's uh, it's something that people seem to forget at times. I think. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but um, uh, just on the uh, you know, as long as we've brought up the topic of uh, human nature, uh, I think that could fairly well segue into uh, another thing we thought would be interesting to talk about this week. Unless there's anything else you thought, thought was really vital to talk about. The only thing on. I wanted to say was just to express uh, my collective displeasure or my displeasure with respect to a collective more accurately that like where is the Muslim outrage in relation to Boko Haram slaughtering presumably 2,000 Muslims yeah and I assume by that you're talking about uh, uh, another story um, from the last couple of days about um, uh, countries in Western Africa again, like uh, Niger, not Nigeria, um, Niger, I don't, Niger, Niger, no. how do you pronounce that other country? I think it might be called Niger. I don't know. Um, but, you know, people, uh, people have been killed there in uh, anti-Charlie Hebdo um, protests. There have been various other threats and protests against the cartoons in um, uh, Pakistan and, and other uh, Islamic countries. Um, and it's like, well, you know what? Uh, you know what didn't kill any Muslims? 
the Charlie Hebdo cartoons. You know what did kill some Muslims? Fucking Boko Haram. Um, Al-Qaeda. Like, like, one of these things is worthy of uh, violent protest and one of them isn't. <laughs> so, but let's, like, try and t go the extra level here. Is this a reflection uh, in a different context of our own ridiculous preferences for fixating on certain things rather than others that would be rationally considered more important? That's a, good, that's a fair in, point. In the same way that we privilege information about... Um, our own sort of selfish interests in survival. I mean, we privilege just, information about Kim Kardashian's ass for Christ's sake. In the same speak way, speak yourself, mate. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, collectively, certainly. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm that guilty of that, actually. But yeah, you take my point. Like on the same, on the other hand, you have, I think, um, a Muslim population fixation on the injustices perpetrated by the West um, over other uh, more serious matters and um, so the kind of level of vitriol and outrage about the activities of al-qaeda wiping out hundreds of muslims in suicide bombings mm -hmm. just it does not seem or to have isis wiping out thousands of muslims that's right yeah. or boko um, slaughtering muslim women and children it just does um, not draw the same response as admittedly terrible things that the West is engaged in that are, in my view, less consequential in reality for the interests of the world's Muslim population. Well, I mean, I suppose that just fits into, uh, uh, yeah, like Western media has, uh, has a narrative. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I would assume that the, the media and, the, and their narratives have a, have, uh, have a narrative as well and that that's what people will click on, that's what people will read, that's what people will get worked up about. Um, yeah, and, and I think that the reason that that's an interesting point to make is that that can't help with the problem of terrorism. No. If the primary narrative of the media that serves the Muslim world is one of victimization or self, or of victimhood rather, mm -hmm. and a kind of sense of injustice, and by the way, I have watched Al Jazeera in Arabic and... I mean, the focus on Palestine, and I'm not going to say that Palestine is not important, but the focus on what goes on in the occupied territories is pretty amazing. It's, it's the equivalent of Fox News' focus on Obamacare, <laughs> where you just go, this is just outsized coverage. Like, this is stirring people in a way that is not proportionate with reality. Um, and so I actually think that in a weird way, in seeing them suffer similar faults in perspective to us, we actually can draw a link between the problems that we have yeah. from them. That's a fair point. Um, and one other thing, which I forgot to mention, as you mentioned, uh, as you brought it up before, about you know the meaning of, uh, of Boko Haram, mm. um, and uh, and I, did, I meant to say then um, how representative that is. I think of. Most, you know, uh, of the you know the real struggle, and it is within the Muslim world itself. Um, you know, starting with like the Wahhabi schools mm. in Saudi Arabia, that you know you could probably draw a line back to you know radical Islam um, in the world today, and the rise of those schools. I would say um, certainly. I don't and, think there's any uh, question about that. Yeah, and so you know, it's the the, the question of 
As a widespread phenomenon, yeah. at least, yeah. Um, and so the question of education, I think, is, you know, really what it comes back to. And when, when you have radical uh, Islamic groups, they see as, you know, one of the great threats to their existence, Western education, or even just decent education, mm. um, of Muslims. Yeah, I mean, you could, in a sense, analogise with the response of the Catholic Church to the Enlightenment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's an in like the Catholic Church was not happy about the idea of uh, what we would consider now fundamental principles of education yeah. when they first arose in society. Um, so, I mean, like this is going back, I suppose, to our discussion a little bit last week, but I feel like the, the, the Muslim world as inaccurate a term as I know that is, yeah, in many respects. About generalisation, but sometimes... You know, yeah. sometimes we have to work with them. And is basically more aggressive than the Western world. I just think they are behind us in terms of cultural and societal evolution. And I know that sounds controversial, but I'm going to say it, because um, I believe it. I've lived in, you know, one of those countries and visited a number of them. And um, political niceties like being nice to people with disabilities and uh, treating animals well just do not count in those places. Um, and I think similarly, they're having a struggle about how they should educate their children. And it's not like this is unique to the Muslim world. If you look at the way that the Khmer Rouge acted in Cambodia, it was a very similar idea. Yeah. All of the thought that um, is not derived from our fundamental principles is corrupt and must be wiped away and we must uh, go back to our fundamentals and, um, you know, restart the process of educating the population. I mean, it's a common theme in any ideologue, this idea of corrupt knowledge. Yeah. Well, knowledge is a corrupting influence on society. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's an interesting topic. Though. Yeah. Just one, I mean, whenever anyone says, um, you know, anything like that, you'll always have people bringing up the, uh, the point that, you know, throughout the Middle Ages, uh, the, the, the Islamic world was far more advanced than the Western and far more tolerant and, and no all question. these sort of things. And, uh, you know, I think anyone with any sort of degree of, of education or cultural curiosity knows that, I think. But I don't think that means that you can't, you know, look at Afghanistan, say, under the rule of the Taliban and say, God, those people have gone backwards. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends what part of the Muslim world yeah, you're talking exactly. about, yeah. I mean, Afghanistan, I suppose, has just been primitive the entire time. But if you look at, for instance, the city I lived in in the Middle East, yeah. Atlas, um, you looked at the photos of the population there um, from the 1960s and 70s, very few women wearing hijab. Yeah, Walk down well, the same, same with Iran, same with... Yeah. yeah, so I mean, there has been a kind of um, a resurgence of fundamental Islam, like... Yeah. Which brings us back to yeah. the rise of the Wahhabi. It uh, does, yeah. And, I mean, I once heard it described as like, if you think of sort of um, a radical Christian sect, yeah. for instance, sort of like, I mean, I hesitate to call them radical because they just knock on doors, but Jehovah's Witnesses are considered pretty weird, right? I yeah. mean, they're sort of wandering around, Mormons even. Um, so I'm not going to sort of, you know, I don't want to draw analogy in terms of the activities of and violence and the like, but a similarly weird sect so far as the rest of its related uh, co-religionists are concerned, taking control of hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars of oil wealth 
yeah. and then just exporting the fuck out of their particular unusual take yeah. on a religious tradition. And that's what you've got in Saudi Arabia with the Wahhabis. Yeah. Uh, and isn't it also uh, not just the, um, uh, the preeminence uh, of Saudi Arabia because of the oil wealth, but also because that's where Mecca is? Yes. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so there was the you know, element of religious control as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's religious control because I still think the primary centre for Islamic thought is Cairo, yeah. at least so far as Sunnis are concerned. The, um, the more famous and respected religious scholars come out of Cairo. Um, nonetheless, Saudi Arabia c uh, gets its legitimacy from being guardian of the holy places. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's definitely an important point. Um, nonetheless, I think the average, the Arab street or the famous Arab street, again, to resort to generalization, has very little in the way of respect for the Saudi monarchy. Um, they do know, they know how corrupt they are just as well as we do. So yeah, there's, there's, there's little in the way, um, of sort of, uh, love lost. Um, anyway, yeah. let's move on to the second topic. Today. Yeah, so I mean, the second topic, uh, not really related at all, but... Uh, not in the slightest, but we're a diverse... Yeah. We have diverse uh, interests here at Pat and Rod Save the World. Yes. Um, you need to if you're going to save the world, after you all. You do. You've got to... You've got to attack it from every angle. Exactly. And um, and in terms of saving the world, uh, I, um, I thought it was fairly interesting. Uh, neither of these were sort of in the last week or anything, but um, you've had... Uh, you know, over the past six months or so, some uh, really prominent geniuses talking about the uh, the threat to um, human civilization of artificial intelligence. And uh, Pat, I think I'll let you yeah uh, take the uh, the facts on this one. So I know we've discussed this before, hmm. um, but there have been developments in the way that the media is treating it. Basically, I suppose taking their cues from us as they often do, Rod. Oh yeah. Uh, there's been a real groundswell of writing and opinion, um, uh, opinion writing on artificial intelligence and the dangers that it presents to the world. Um, and the basic idea is that if you create something that has the intelligence of a human being, that is tireless and has a near perfect and instant recall of information, then you're basically creating something that can, um, uh, do us out of our role of preeminence um, yeah. as it currently stands. And I read an interesting article by a guy called Sam Harris, who in many ways I think has a lot of things right, but some things wrong. And he makes the point that, uh, and I quote, um, imagine for instance, that we build a computer that is no more intelligent than the average team of researchers at Stanford or MIT, but because it functions on a digital timescale, it runs a million times faster than the minds that built it. Set it humming for a week and it would perform 20,000 years of human level intellectual work. So that gives you a sense of what the potential implications are. Yeah. And obviously I'm the first to admit and agree that it's open to question whether or not we can actually replicate human consciousness yeah. in a machine. And this brings me to the, the next point. I've recently been reading a book um, by the former founder of Sirius Satellite Radio in the United States, um, a, a transgender lady by the name of Martine Rosenblatt, who recently published a book entitled Virtually Human, 
The Promise and the Peril of Digital Immortality. And in this book, um, Martine makes arguments to the effect that replicating human consciousness with a digital rather than a biological substrate is possible, and then proceeds to make the argument that uh, if we create a machine that has a consciousness that is indistinguishable from that of a biological human, um, we should give it basically all of the rights that a biological human has because it makes no sense for the only distinguishing factor to qualify for human rights to be a biological rather than a digital substrate. Um, now, I presented this idea to Rod earlier on today, <laughs> and I'm not at all convinced by it. No. Uh, and but... I acknowledge all of the flaws leading up to the assumption that it's possible to do it, but it's a super interesting discussion about whether or not this is a reasonable way to consider the problem. Yeah, and um, my, uh, my thoughts when I heard this, um, you know, again, assuming that it's possible, uh, was that um, uh, having, uh, giving artificial, artificial intelligence um, all, of the, uh, all of the characteristics of human consciousness, there couldn't be a, um, a more dangerous thing for, for humanity to do. Like, there couldn't be uh, a better example of what people like Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking are talking about, about this being dangerous. And the reason for that, I, I thought, um, was that most of the things that make up human consciousness are pretty fucking dangerous. Um, Especially if you confer them on an entity with what we would consider superhuman, like possesses superhuman. Yeah, um, and the starting point for that was the issue of uh, human rights. I mean, when you talk about that on, you know, a human level, what else would you talk about human rights on uh, before you have artificial, or before you have anything else? Um, but uh, I mean, where a lot of that comes from is people. Uh, I, I suppose the, the the starting point of. Um, of the desire for human rights, I, I think comes from a place of anger. Comes from the, comes from anger. You feel like you are being hardly done by. You see other people being treated better than you. You, you see uh, in uh, inequality and injustice, mm. um, and your your reaction is anger, and also and, an innate desire to control one's surroundings. Yeah, and. Um, and I think of uh, I think of artificial in intelligence, uh, something with the uh, the ability to do twenty thousand hours of uh, <laughs> of work in a week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think um, sorry, it was twenty thousand years. Twenty thousand years. Sorry, uh, <laughs> even worse. Um, I think uh, I think of giving human anger to something like that, and I shit myself. Um, yeah, and I think that. That is a super instructive point. When you start to ask questions about whether or not you should confer rights on something that behaves exactly the same as a human being without the biological substrate, you have to ask the question of whether or not it's a good idea to give something like that all of those um, um, impulses. Yeah. If you don't give it all, if you don't give it the dangerous impulses, arguably it's completely distinguishable from humans yeah. and does not deserve the rights. Exactly. And I think the, um, 
the way they used artificial intelligence in the movie Interstellar last year mm. was uh, a really good example of that. Um, I really enjoyed that movie, by the way. It got fairly mixed reviews, but I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. No, I thought um, the way that they handled artificial intelligence was actually a really realistic scenario. Yeah, in that they were, um, they were very functional. Um, you could have a conversation with them, but at the end of the day, they were tools, um, and they... They were. They yeah. were tools that could be condemned to inevitable yeah. annihilation no, without so a second thought. Yeah. And they, and, they were, and they were okay with it because they didn't have the consciousness otherwise. Yeah, but they, could, um, they didn't have the impulses. Now, the question yeah. is, in Interstellar, if you've got the robot that actually wants to live, yeah. well, that starts getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, and, and the question is, like, how many dangerous or potentially problematic impulses can you remove from an artificial intelligence? Like, yeah, how can I you prune it? How can you prune it in such a way that you don't eliminate humanity that deserves rights? Yeah. Is it possible? I mean, and you, you think about... Um you know, what are the impulses that you uh, that you would want and what are the impulses that you would leave out? And I suppose people might be listening to this going, anger, of course you'd leave anger out. And it's like, well... That's an important way that's to... An, that's yeah. an, like, anger uh, at, its, at its base level, I mean, that's how a lot of really positive social change has come about. Um, no question. In fact, you, you could actually make the argument that that is the primary driver for humanity's progress just an individual looking at another individual who's better off and being like, why the fuck don't I get that? Yeah. I mean, that's the sort of individual level analysis of the French Revolution um, and uh, desegregation. Yeah. Um, what other positive <laughs> sort of, like, even technological progress is based on the idea of someone looking at someone who's more wealthy. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, emancipation, uh, end of slavery, that sort of thing. Yeah, there are uh, so many from, examples. Um, and I mean, people might say, oh, it came from, like, love as well. But I mean, onto other uh, human impulses, would you, uh, you know, again, I, I couldn't think of the, you know, for the life of me, how you would program love into a machine. But, you know, assuming these sort of impulses are possible to recreate human consciousness, um, do, you, do you allow machines to love? I mean, there's been various movies about that, bad ones generally. Um, uh, I get, and then you think about when the human impulse for love goes wrong, uh, how badly wrong that can go. Absolutely. Um, and is that something that you'd want to... Uh, that you'd want it, you'd want machines to have, um, yeah. And if you, you know, you, happiness. If you like, you wouldn't think that anyone could possibly have a problem with uh, with sharing happiness um, in terms of uh, expanding human consciousness into uh, machines. But it, you know, how do you how do you define happiness without sadness? And do you have to make them sad in order to feel happy? And all, all these sort of things. Um, and so then if you prune off the ability to be angry, yeah. to be happy, to be sad, um, to, to love, be envious, to love, to, to, love, hate. to hate. I mean, at this point, then you don't actually have human consciousness and there is a clear distinction. Arguably not. Yeah. Um, and so I think the unfortunate fact of the matter is, though, and I think that this is worthwhile <laughs> mentioning, as Sam Harris says, 
Um, and I quote, um, the problem, however, is that only a few of us seem to be in a position to think this question through. Indeed, the moment of truth might arrive amid circumstances that are disconcertingly informal and inauspicious. Picture 10 young men in a room, several of them with undiagnosed Asperger's, drinking Red Bull and wondering whether to flip a switch. Should any single company or research group be able to decide the fate of humanity? The question nearly answers itself. And it really does. And it's another huge part of human nature is that our curiosity, we will always flick the switch. If there are a bunch of uh, people researching um, AI and you know they've actually got to the point where they think they can pretty much get human consciousness in all its broken glory into a machine, at the f and all they have to do is, oh, do we do this? Do we flick this switch? Do we turn it on? They're going to turn it on. That's what people do. Um, and I mean, we've had the examples of that. We've spoken of it in the past, I think, of you know the risks that people thought there were going to be when they uh, t started the Hadron Collider. People, you know, uh, people thought there was a slight risk of it, you know, forming a black hole and destroying the Earth. When um, uh, when there was the nuclear testing. Um, People thought it might just have a risk of scorching the sky, and they did that. Well, not, not just scorching the sky. There were serious scientists intimately involved with the project who considered there was a real risk of setting the atmosphere on fire. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and they still pulled the trigger. Yeah. So, so like, if, it, yeah, if humanity gets to the point of creating um, AI that has all of the... Uh, all of the impulses with all of the uh, advantages and all of the flaws of human nature, they're going to flick that switch. Mm. I think that's... Not to mention the fact that, I mean, I would also point out that I think there are very few maxims that have been proven as many times as power corrupts <laughs> and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if you have the human equivalent with as much power yeah. as an AI would have, I mean, well, I mean, that's a scary prospect. Yeah, and I, even with that, you know, as part of the human nature that they've been given, with that insatiable curiosity, uh, as well. Anyone who's got power wants to test the limits of it. Yeah, and a self-improving artificial intelligence that has the impulses of a human being. Um, with all of the power conferred by being a digital rather than a biological substrate, it's a super scary prospect. Yeah. And it's why I love the uh, the old Greek myth of um, Pandora's box. Like it, of all the uh, of all the old myths out there, I think, and the reason that people still you know know it today, and you know, opening Pandora's box is a figure of speech that has been around for centuries, and I think will be around for centuries more because it just speaks to, I think, the absolute heart of human nature. Like, we'll flick the switch, we'll open the box, we'll, it doesn't matter what the risks are. Yeah, and the question is, I mean, at a certain point, it seems that the law of averages will, will dictate that at some point inside the box is humanity's annihilation. <laughs> and as we always have, we'll flip the top on it to see what happens. Yeah.
Um, and it seems like, I mean, there, let, let's, there, let's just hope that uh, we've colonized Mars or something by that point, so that if we fuck up Earth, at least we've got someone, yeah. something else going on. Who, who, by the way, is to say that an artificial intelligence, if we have the ability to get to Mars, can't also invade Mars? Well, and there is that. There is this theory amongst people who I'm, you know, I don't really... They're not intellectual peers of mine, but um, people interested in extraterrestrial life have a theory that at a certain point humanity will wipe itself out and that probably there have been extraterrestrial um, uh, lives on other planets that have reached the same point in technological advancement and have kind of just winked out of existence. Yeah, I've, um, I've read that theory as well. Um, that, uh, yeah, as a... Um, as a consciousness, you know, grows in a creature, um, and it forms a forms societies, forms civilizations, advances. Um, you know, each one of these civilizations would eventually get to the point where they could destroy themselves. Yeah, just run across a certain technology that has the ability to wipe everybody out. Yeah, and um, I mean, and I mean, shit, we got there during the Cold War. We did. Um, it was quite a while ago. In fact, I'm surprised that we've um, managed to get around yeah. it for as long as we have. But could I just go back to the point of, like, if we assume that you can create the, a human equivalent on a digital substrate, would you be in favour of conferring rights of individuals under the legal system on such an entity? I don't see that there'd be any way of avoiding it. Um, I don't see. I mean, even if you take the perspective of we would like to placate yeah, the super exactly. <laughs> um, like if they're demanding it, you give it to them. That's it. I mean, here's the compact: we will treat you as one of us if you don't subjugate us. And you hope that in its humanness, yeah, it would actually, it would be down with that. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, to be fair to humanity, because we've spoken a lot about its flaws and all the bad things that we do, mm. um, in, uh, you know, you, you look at, uh, well, certainly in, you know, uh, Western countries today, maybe not so much in, you know, the Boko Haram instance, mm. um, but uh, we're, we're moving in the right direction in a lot of ways. Like, we're... Uh, I would agree with that, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, you look at you look at humanity now, and humanity five thousand years ago, and you'd argue, and you know, you'd say probably a lot more, uh, you know, compassion and empathy, um, or at least I actually think that these are innate human characteristics, but the context allows for the greater expression without cost. Hmm. of those more positive impulses, or arguably more positive impulses. But I actually have another idea about how you could potentially disqualify an artificial intelligence from possessing. Go right ahead. Um, in the sense that if we create an artificial intelligence, and even given that it has all of the abilities and impulses that we have as humans, you could make an argument that the lack of definition on the boundaries of that artificial intelligence disqualifies it from possessing human rights. So imagine you create two or three different artificial intelligences and they exist in the cloud, 
based not even on a specific computer, but on the shared resources of a number of computers. And those artificial intelligences, by way of improving themselves, merge. Now, the question becomes, if you have two people who have the ability to turn themselves into one person, is that still a person who's deserving of rights? Mm -hmm. Is the lack of definition around the consciousness or the ability even to export a portion of consciousness away into a new entity, does that disqualify that? Like the fact that the, the consciousness can just be copied. Because that's the difference. Like one of the fundamental differences between the biological substrate and the digital substrate is that you can't copy a human being. You can copy an artificial intelligence. Should that disqualify it from having human rights? Um, it certainly could, and it's a distinction you could draw. I'd let you be the one to tell the artificial intelligence that they couldn't have it done. Um, I, I, on that, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about assumptions of um, technological advances, uh, do you think it's the point, do you think we'll get to the point where you, uh, you could copy an actual human consciousness via uh, cloning and brain scans and, uh, and that sort of thing? And via, bio, like, a biological... Yeah. The biological machinery from which it's generally agreed that consciousness arises. Yeah. Whatever consciousness is, because it's not agreed. Um, I see no reason why not. Um, and I don't know what time scale that would be on. Yeah. There's, I mean... Like, if you can recreate... I mean, I, I, you know... Yeah. Ignoring questions of uh, the existence of a soul or anything like that, uh, assuming that everything we are and all our memories and all our consciousness and everything comes purely from the workings of our own brain um, and how we've reacted to things in the past and our own genetic makeups. If, if we get to the point where we can take a DNA swab of someone, uh, recreate their brain entirely, um, uh, how it's working at, at you know, the point at which you've made it, uh, clone their body, put that brain into that body, and you've got a perfect working clone of yourself. Um, how would that be different to the? Uh, I suppose uh, uh, the artificial intelligence. I that's suppose, I mean. that's a pretty informative thought experiment. Like, if that was possible, you wouldn't say that the new human being has less rights, or that the old human being that's given rise to the new human being should have less rights because it has the ability to clone itself. Yeah. Exactly. I suppose where it gets weird though, like I suppose the point I'm trying to get to is the lack of clear boundaries between artificial intelligences that exist in the cloud. Hmm. I can imagine a world where they mix, merge, um, have collaborations that manifest as almost being Siamese twin-like. Although that's actually an interesting analogy, we yeah. don't give any, we don't give less human rights to Siamese twins, but it's a bio. I mean, for the most part, they don't share a brain. So I've just, um, <laughs> my mind's just flown off into this sci-fi epic idea where humanity is just about bred itself out of existence, and all that's left are uh, clones that we've created with our consciousness, um, but with all the medical advances that we can make to a human body um, 
and they're battling it out against the artificial intelligence uh, with all the human consciousness that we've all cre also created. And there's just this last little pocket of actual humanity stuck in the middle. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. The possibilities are endless as to how, if, if such a thing was created, how it would play out. Um, but to just go back to like the lack of boundaries between intelligences, um, I think that that's an argument about what distinguishes an artificial intelligence from a human intelligence. Human intelligences, I mean, it seems at least the biological substrate does not allow them to be merged right now, merged or combined in various weird ways that I can't even imagine that an artificial intelligence could be, um, but I mean, you can actually make the argument that if you have well, I mean, a weird kind of merge of artificial intelligence, that in a sense, they are almost more human because they have more human characteristics. Well, I, mean, I mean, would that be their version of, uh, of giving birth to a new consciousness in that two human beings with their own different uh, genetic makeups and their own consciousness have a child and that child is the, you know, the merger, if you will, of... Uh, both other consciousnesses. That's actually a very interesting point. I mean, and that gets weird. If you have artificial intelligences like, quote, giving birth to new artificial intelligences, and they have all of the same impulses with respect to their, quote, children. Hmm. Um, <laughs> they would be protective of them. They'd be very protective of their children. And of course, they and would they... want their children to have the same rights. Um, you know, yeah, I can't see... I think that I'm not in the camp that is convinced that this will be a rosy scenario for humanity. Yeah, but, um, you know, to, to be fair, uh, I'm also not in the camp that certainly, I mean, again, the exponential increase of human technology uh, and advancement is something that's sort of going on at the moment. Mm. But when I just think about the sheer complaint, like we still don't really understand human consciousness. No, and all no, those no. And all those impulses, and we, you mentioned this, all those impulses that we've talked about uh, throughout this, how the fuck you even begin to work those into. Yeah, uh, it would take a long I, time. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think this is going to be something that will uh, wipe out humanity anytime soon. But no. if it does happen, I wouldn't have high hopes for our future. Well, and I think the other point to be made, people who say that artificial intelligence will certainly be created over the next 30 years, I think are whistling Dixie. And the basic reason is that people talk about the exponential advance of technology. But what a lot of them don't realise they're referring to is Moore's Law. Um, and Moore's Law is the exponential increase of processing power. Um, by which, I mean, that's basically to say that on average, every 18 months, you can get twice the power, processing power, for the same price as you could get 18 months before. That's Moore's Law. And there are other bottlenecks. Um, there are storage bottlenecks, there are uh, network speed bottlenecks, there are just sheer knowledge bottlenecks. There are difficult problems to solve that involve more than just processing or brute force processing to solve them. So I, I think that saying that the exponential increase of processing power 
equals exactly an exponential increase in um, technological advancement is a flawed assumption. And it seems to be one that even quite intelligent people are making. Um, and Ray Kurzweil is one of them. I've not actually heard him talk about the relationship between um, hardware, the exponential increase in processing hardware yeah. and technological advancement. I mean, I don't see that the two are equivalent. One is certainly harder to quantify than the other. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, software development, I mean, there are a lot of advances in software development and there have been even over the last five or six years. I mean, it's an amazingly uh, agile sort of um, space which is part of the reason I like to work in it. Uh, but the idea of like replicating a human consciousness, I mean, first you have to understand so much more than we do yeah. in order to actually replicate. Yeah. Um, although I can imagine a world where if you can actually just map neurons and then create something that is the function functional equivalent, well, if you can just like map the neurons, do you actually need to understand how they interact well, I mean, and that's the other question. Yeah. You'd like to think that you would, but uh, people people will flick the switch anyway. Well, yeah, and I think, by the way, that a really interesting analogy here in terms of human consciousness is if you analogize between consciousness and flight, okay, a bird can fly, but we did not to we did not need to build a bird to fly. Yeah. Okay. We built aeroplanes, and so it has the same function. If you consider that consciousness is a function, you know, I think that that's a reasonable definition of it. Um, but we did not have to um, uh, exactly recreate the mechanism that we previously understood to be the sole creator of that function in order to replicate it. And the same might well be the same for human consciousness. Yeah. So there are all sorts of complicated questions about when it would happen, if it's possible to happen. My opinion on it is that it seems intuitively more likely than not that it will happen eventually. Yeah. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, th I think it'll definitely happen eventually. Um, in that there will there will be AI. I, I don't think. What about AI that replicates a human consciousness? Yeah, that one. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, that one, I'm not sure of. I I think we'll definitely have AI in some form, um, but that replicates a human consciousness. Nah. You don't think so? No, I just, at least not any time in the foreseeable future. Um, I think we might have some, you know, we'll have things that might imitate a human consciousness. Um, oh, we already do. Well, as in... Or better than we do now, yeah. yeah. I mean, approaching human levels of consciousness. Yeah. The question is, is this like one of those weird mathematical graphs? Remember the one in calculus where you approach zero, but you never quite get there. Um <laughs> This kind of the arrow paradox, where the arrow halves the distance from the target and never actually, you know, gets there because it's only ever halving the distance to the target. It's just a mathematical paradox. Uh, <laughs> that one always fucking fries my brain. Um, but I think it's more likely than not that actually we will get to the point where it's an intelligence or a consciousness that fulfills basically the same function as a human consciousness and I think our children or our children's children will have to make serious decisions about how to treat such entities um, and it's an interesting topic of uh, discussion and I think it really illuminates actually a lot of things about what makes us human.
Yeah. And what doesn't? And what do you need? What do you prove assuming for a human being? Assuming we haven't wiped ourselves out by that. Which, by the way, there's an, also an interesting analogy here, I think, with um, depression medication. I actually had that same thought when we were talking before about all the human impulses. Yeah. Um, and how certain medications you can take today more or less dull those to the point of non-existence. Yeah. Um, so we actually, there is an analogy where you can prune problematic impulses yeah. with medication as it is. Now, we would not say that those people are less human. No. And that they are less deserving of rights than they otherwise would be. <laughs> I, I, yeah. You look I, uncomfortable. No, it's because I had that thought and didn't bring it up because I was like, is that really the same thing? Like having someone who has all these, who has, you know, everything in human consciousness to start with and then them, you know, voluntarily taking something that will temporarily dull it while they're under the effect of those things. Is that the same as, you know, putting together something with wires and, uh, and things yourself and just not connecting something to start with? I see no reason why, like the, the question really becomes, how many things can you prune before you can consider something or an entity not, not deserving human. of rights? And what permutations and combinations, um, like, because I can imagine that you would basically end up at a point where certain characteristics have more weight than others when you prune them mm. towards that threshold of being no longer human and thus deserving of rights. Yeah. So, for Well, instance, I mean, again, if you get to the point of genetic engineering of, uh, of your kids and you say, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't want them to have this trait or I want them to have that trait, um, which is something that people have, uh, have spoken about. Yeah, well. that, that gets really weird. And then you've also got this question of like, what precisely is the hierarchy of human impulses? Yeah. Survival, you would argue at this point in time... Shit, that's one we haven't even spoken about. That, that sits underneath everything, you could argue, at least on the Darwinian view of things. And that even the sort of impulse to control one's environment really is just a means towards survival. Um... And so you could say, in many cases, anger is subordinate to the need to control one's surroundings in turn for the purpose of survival. And the question becomes, well, is anger, like, I mean, anger is an emotion. It's not really an end in itself. No. So you would say that anger is kind of further down the level of, or further up the level of hierarchy and thus a less important thing if you prune it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's an interesting... Hmm. I'll probably obsess about this for the rest of the day. <laughs> a hierarchy of human needs. Yeah. All right, mate. Let's call it a day. Radio. Catch you all next week with Pat and Rod Save the World.